Welcome back to the Legal Weekly Wine. We are doing yet another special edition because this summer does not stop hitting. And today we are hitting the third set of indictments for President Donald Trump. What we are going to do today is do our best to unpack the indictments, to explain the indictments, see where they're headed, and offer an opinion or two, hopefully not political, though everything surrounding these indictments and President Trump is political. So it's a little hard to do, but we're going to try to do it as neutrally as possible along the way. I'm Virginia Tarani. I'm with Tarani Law LLC because you never need a lawyer. Tell you do. I am an attorney, but I am also joined by a preeminent scholar and expert on constitutional law, the Constitution and the amending process, who is critical to today's analysis of what is happening with these indictments. And that expert joining me today is Dr. John Vile from Middle Tennessee State University. Welcome back. Good to be here. Okay. I'm very excited about today. Um, I'm not excited that former President Trump has been indicted again. I'm not excited that we have to have this conversation, but I'm excited for the conversation and it sounds like, in talking to you before we started this, that we have questions for each other. We do. As the Constitution expert and as the attorney, that hopefully we can use to help our listeners understand what's happening in these indictments versus the other indictments, because these are different and they're specifically related to what was going on through January 6th. They're not just about January 6th. But they're related to what's happening there. And I think um, some of the questions I'm going to come back to and the highlights I want to hit are what Jack Smith didn't include in the indictments, which I think is just as crucial to this analysis as what he did include. So what we're going to do is, because it's the weekly wine, even though it's a special edition and not on Friday for happy hour, we're still going to have a happy hour. And I have gone back to fundamentals and apparently, although Bostonians might disagree with me, I'm going back to the fundamentals of our country in Williamsburg, Virginia, um, where our original rights were discussed and talked about the original seat of government, right, was in Williamsburg? Well, the Virginia capital was in Williamsburg before it moved to Richmond. Yeah, so, so we're going back there, and we are going to a Williamsburg winery, Claret. Um, and I, I'm terrible at pronouncing these things, so I apologize for those wine connoisseurs who actually know the better pronunciation. Um, but it is a 2020, and it's a Virginia Claret. And we are going to do that for today. I will drop the instructions and of how to purchase and where to purchase the wine in the comments. And I hope that you grab your favorite glass of wine or beverage for a happy hour as we discuss the indictment. So cheers and uh, off we go. I am gonna give you first chance to, to start the discussion um, as to your initial take on the indictments, how they ring to you and what you think are the most prominent issues within the indictments? Well, let's start by saying it's this is the third indictment so far that has been leveled against Trump. Right. This one, one, of course, deals with what happened, I guess, before he became president, namely, did he engage in illegal financial transactions in order to squelch a story? 
involving Stormy Daniels. And that's the it, first set of indictments that we have in New York. The state I'm not sure if it's the first or the second, but but yes, it comes out of New York. Um, and again, it involves what happened, I believe, before he became president. Correct. And then, you know, there's another set of indictments by, by Smith involving what he did or allegedly did after leaving office. And that, of course, is to keep, hide, and perhaps lie about his possession of top secret documents. And those are the ones that are based in Florida. Those are the current Florida indictments. And around the same time as the third set are coming out, we just also had additions to that indictment. A superseding indictment. Correct. Which is a great English word. Basically means uh, from the time that we issued the first set of indictments, we found that new information and we're going to add some charges to it. But again, the the one set of charge, the first charges before office, this is what he's done after office. Right. The significance of the latest indictments is that they concern what he allegedly did when right. he was in office. And so that's, you know, fair. And to my knowledge, now, to, to my knowledge, we've never had a president indicted for illegal activities while in office. Uh, there's a good chance that Richard Nixon would have been indicted. Right. Well, actually, uh, good legal term, which is also in this case. So it'll give you a chance to, sh- to shine. Uh, Nixon was named prior to his resignation as what was known as an unindicted Mm co-conspirator. And in this case, we have a series of five, I believe. Uh, Six. Well, is it it five or six? I don't don't know whether whether it counts Trump or not, but at least five or six Mm -hmm. different people who may be indicted, Mm -hmm. uh, but at this point are listed as unindicted uh, co-conspirators. Yes. and I took some pleasure initially in finding that of the six, there were five who were attorneys and only one who was uh, a political operative. Right. Uh, but then I looked a little closer, and when I realized that one of them was John Eastman, I realized that he has a PhD in government as well as a law degree. Oh, so, yeah. Too. So my profession gets a little egg <laughs> on its face. Uh, just like the attorneys do. Although, you yeah. know, a five to one ratio, that doesn't sound too bad. It's, um, it's not. I mean, worse for the attorneys. And and yes, it's it's six, five that are, we believe we know the names. So that's right. None of them that's are named. Right. Five, we believe that we know who they are. Right. One who is a question. There are right. guesses, but is a question. Um, so that's six, and then Trump would count the the seven. And, and for the audience who may not know, that probably the most prominent names mm-hmm. are Rudy Giuliani, correct? Uh, Sidney Powell mm-hmm. uh, and John Eastman, right? Uh, and, and Giuliani then, is alleged to be, we believe, he's co-conspirator number one. That's right. Eastman and Powell number two. two no, Eastman is two, I believe. Oh, I'm sorry. That's right. And Powell is is three, but it is. It's sad for my profession, quite frankly, that they are attorneys. And it is. And, you know, one one of the fascinating things about this, I don't know if your audience will be able to see this or not. um, Yes. But if if they haven't seen it, 
You know, this is a report from the January 6th committee, and it is one of the, what's fascinating about it, I don't know if you can see on, on there, but it's one of the few governmental reports that I've seen like this that actually has color pictures and mm. uh, exhibits and whatever. Right. And, you know, for people who watch those hearings, which, of course, did not result in a, well, they resulted in an impeachment, but not a successful conviction. Correct. But frankly, there's not a whole lot new in this indictment that wasn't revealed uh, in the hearings themselves. And now we're projecting ahead a little bit. Right. But if, in fact, these indictments would result in a conviction, then one could arguably say that the Senate didn't do its job uh, when it didn't remove Trump from office. Now, again, you know, that's partly speculative. Sure. And Smith himself, you know, Smith acknowledged very he's one of those people who doesn't say very much. But in the short press conference that he gave, he basically said, uh, you know, we realize everybody's presumed innocent. Uh, until proven guilty. Yes. Uh, but I must say that the behavior of Trump points to guilt in, in any number of ways. And one of them is he seems to be arguing the personalities rather than the law. Everything that he says, or just about everything that he says, anytime he's indicted is, well, they're out to get me. Right. Uh, that sort of thing. And that's not, uh, you know, I, I mean, in some ways it's natural, right? If somebody goes after you, you assume they must have bad motives. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, given that, you know, there is, uh, there's a misconception here that, you know, Smith is somehow the tool of, you know, the attorney general. Uh, that's not how the office is set up. Right. Um, and so, right. you know, it's pretty serious if you have the just, you know, not, now again, can the Justice Department be politicized? Of course, any department can. Absolutely. But if anything, government agency. If there, right. If if there was any politicization, uh, it was as prominent in the Trump administration, probably more so than it is right now. Uh, remember, you know, the firing of uh, of the FBI director. <laughs> Uh, the resignation of an attorney general right. uh, who had originally started out as a strong supporter. And one of the fascinating things about, about the indictment is how much of the evidence seems to have come from Republicans. Yes, uh, You would be hard-pressed, actually, those that you can identify. Uh, mm -hmm. Most of them, you know, and one of them, of course, is the vice president of the United States. Right. And again, you know, I know I know there are people who on January 6th wanted to hang Mike Pence, and there are still some, uh, you know, who are very displeased with him. They still see him as the bad guy. Who, right. But think about it. Yeah. He had every in personal incentive to continue in the vice presidential office. And that's which is, pointed out in the indictment. That's actually said by Smith in one of the wordings of it was right. in his best interest to but, continue. Yeah, th this is, I mean, this is, you know, we in, we do, did mock trial together. Remember, mm -hmm. one of the exceptions to hearsay is a statement against interest. Yes. Uh, if anybody had an interest in perpetuating four more years and then hopefully you know, waltzing in or having a good shot at the presidency, it would have been Mike Pence. Right. And so one of the fascinating things is, you know, the more people say this is partisan and, you know, 
maybe, you know, maybe there is some partisanship here. People who don't like Trump are probably pleased that he's been indicted. Sure. Uh, but on the other hand, almost all the testimony seems to be from people who were working, working very closely with him. So that that's sort of a fascinating yeah. aspect of the and case. L- let me point out is, you know, we've printed the indictments. We've read them. Yep. I mean, we've got it. I've highlighted and written all over this thing. 45 on, pages. Oh, 45 pages on page seven. And this is exactly it. I think it is great legal maneuvering, whether believed or unbelieved. I don't care which side you're on. At this point, as an attorney looking at it, it is brilliant legal maneuvering for page seven for him to specifically say this is it's talking about the knowledge, the defendant's knowledge of the falsity of his election fraud claims. And it goes through each of the people who Jack Smith alleges told President Trump these are false allegations. They're false. You can't make them. And he specifically names Vice President Pence as the first one. And the way that he does it is he says the defendant's vice president who personally stood to gain by remaining in office as part of the defendant's ticket and whom the defendant asked to study fraudulent or fraud allegations told the defendant that he had seen no evidence of outcome determinative fraud. So that's how it starts. And it's brilliantly written. And it goes through each one, each person. It says the senior leaders of the Justice Department appointed by the defendant. Senior White House attorney. Yeah. Defendant's principal advisor. Um, the the person appointed by the defendant, the point a person selected by the defendant, the person whose sole mission was the defendant's reelection. Okay, so here's the question for you now. Mm-hmm. What if every time one of them spoke spoke, he went to use a technical legal term? So. Well, so one of the issues in the case, and I told yes. you I was going to ask you this because you have the attorney's knowledge. I, right. I have the sort of the layperson's knowledge here. But a lot of this case could turn mm-hmm. on a legal term known as willful ignorance. Correct. So, you know, if you think from Trump's perspective, I am the president. Mm-hmm. I have more votes this election than I did last time. Right. I was ahead in the early voting counting, and then things seemed to switch on me. Right. Um, surely, as good looking and as great a job as I've done, it's almost unimaginable that I would not be reelected. Right. And I just don't believe my attorney general. They're all out to get me. Um I believe I won, and I'm going to push it as far as I can, not just on my behalf, but on behalf of the country, which needs me as its leader. Right. So what about that notion of if he is ignorant, he's ignorant because of one could say delusional thinking, or one could just say maybe wishful thinking. Mm-hmm. Or, or even true yeah, belief. Yeah, I mean, and think about it. I have the America's mayor. Yes. Uh, who is on my side and is telling me that I won. Right. And I got Sidney Powell. I have John Eastman, who's PhD and JD. Right. Uh, you know, can't get more impressive than that. Yeah. Uh, law school dean. 
Maybe that lowers him a little bit. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay. these people of great repute, yes. of legal minds are telling him this. Now, first of all, as an attorney, if they did in fact tell him these things, knowing they were false, then they're then in trouble. Then they should be in trouble, not even just criminally, but as far as ethically with their own bars, if they do have bar licenses, they should be taken away. And am um, I right, both Giuliani in New York and Eastman yes. in California were have already Giuliani's lost their licenses. DC. The, the, mm-hmm. Their license has been questioned. I'm not sure if they both lost their cases I yet. I know Giuliani has lost right. at least one. I believe Eastman still may mm-hmm. be out. This indictment probably won't help him. But I, I don't think either. it will. So <laughs> if, if an attorney has truly perpetuated false information and encouraged and supported a client to lie, to defraud, to commit crimes, then first of all, they're potentially criminally liable themselves as a co-conspirator, but also their their own bar licenses question because we're not supposed to be supporting criminal activity. We're supposed to be advising as attorneys, we're supposed to be advising attorney advisor our clients is what to do and what the law allows, what the law is, what the law says, how to interpret the law, as well as how to act on the law. And if there's a support of a criminal conspiracy, then that is clearly not doing our functions. But in this particular case, as going to your point, I think the only, the only real defense he could have is I really didn't believe them. Right. You know, I did believe the naysayers. Right. right. I didn't believe the naysayers. I believed right. Giuliani. I believed Eastman. I hired them as my attorneys. I believed what they said would right. be true for the law. They told me these things. But what goes against that in terms of the government's argument, right. not necessarily what I believe or no, don't believe. The, the Smith constantly says he knew him, he knowingly yes falsified he yes. knowingly whatever he but that's going to be the hardest thing to prove right it will be and what what smith will have to do is take everything that he said in this indictment and actually put it up on the stand and make it testify and what he will have to do is put each person who told him quote the truth right who told him that these right. claims were false who, One of whom, by the way, is his attorney general. Yes, right? the attorney just, general. Bill Barr has recently, you know, been on. Well, has a new book yes. out, so naturally he's on television. And uh, what Trump will say to that is, well, he has a reason to lie. He's got a book. He's making money. Right. He wants to be in the spotlight. He's going to say whatever you know he thinks he needs to say to be prominent and to be powerful and to be recognized, to be a celebrity. So there are questions for each, but. Some of these others, the state attorney, state's attorney generals, the governors, the different people who were right. contacted from the states, the state well, electors. Well, and, and the courts, right? And the courts. The, the, he lost something like 70 different cases challenging vote counts within individual Correct. states. And what Smith will be doing is saying, okay, each of, even if he listened to those six other people, what he did is he refused to listen to the other hundreds of people who were telling him this was false. So this was willful ignorance and it's not, you can't 
when as a defendant just saying you really, 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 really believed it. Right. If you shouldn't have, it goes on to almost a tort issue where you're saying you knew or should have known. Right. It's you can't be completely immune to the law if you don't agree with the law or believe the law. It is still the law. If I can make a political point mm-hmm. here, is that Trump is sort of on the horns of a dilemma. Yeah. Which is if he didn't know, yeah. one might question his judgment. Yes. Because everybody else in that now, that being said, apparently a good bit of 40% or so of the American public actually believe that he won the election. Right. But the judges don't agree to that. Most of the, you know, the, the many other people do not. Right. But he's either, you know, yes, he has participated in illegal activity knowingly, or he didn't know, but he should have known. It's not a very, you know, it's not a very good political defense if the argument is, well, I was wrong, you know, I was wrong, I should have known I was wrong, but I didn't. Yeah. Uh, but it might be better than going to jail or whatever the, the indictment might bring. It could be. But I convention. think what Smith has done is he's set up piece by piece, alleged fact by alleged fact. Yes. What he thinks are all the, the times and ways that Trump really should have known. And right. he just refused to accept it. Where you say, you know, you only listen to those who you agree with, which can be said of any of us, especially in right. politics, is, you know, if I were a Republican, I want to agree with the Republicans. If I were a Democrat, I want to agree with the Democrats. That's, you know, right. that's my party affiliation. That's the way that we want to work as society. And I think a lot of people can say, well, of course he's listening to the people who told him what he wanted to hear. They're the ones who all agree with him. But in this case, he's set it up where this agreement is truly a criminal enterprise instead. It's not just an agreement of people who want to have and hold the same opinion. It is an agreement to commit a criminal enterprise. But here's where- Yeah, yeah. go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, here's where I was going to give you another chance to shine. Mm-hmm. So why don't you talk a little bit about conspiracy? Mm-hmm. And may I tell I want to tell a story before we start. Oh, okay. When Thanks. I was an undergraduate at William and Mary, probably sophomore year, we had two speakers that were brought in uh, from opposing sides. And this was before talk rate, smash radio, all of that nonsense. But the first thing that happened is one asked the other do you believe in the law of conspiracy? And the guy Mm -hmm. said, well, yeah, I guess I do. And he says, well, I'm not going to shake your hand. Uh, I'm totally opposed to anything based on conspiracy. Uh, I don't think that's a legitimate charge. So if to to go to the charges, four Mm -hmm. out of these five charges allege a conspiracy to defraud the U.S., Mm -hmm. obstruct a proceeding, Conspiracy against rights. I guess maybe it's three out of the three. Three out of the four. Right. Three out of the four. So why don't you tell us a little bit about is a conspiracy? And this is linked, Mm -hmm. by the way, uh, for those who want to look. uh, I did an article in our First Amendment encyclopedia, online First Amendment encyclopedia, called Trump's indictment and his First Amendment rights. Mm, Okay. And some people might say, well, isn't you know 
conspiracy that involves speech isn't speech protected by the First Amendment. And if anybody ought to be protected, shouldn't it be the president of the United States? Right. You know, political speech is far more or as important as perhaps any speech other than maybe religious speech. But anyway, it's right up there at the top. Yeah. And and this is where we get into twofold. First is, is conspiracy really a crime um, in and of itself, which I think is sort of where you're headed. And the second is, well, is it speech? And what speech is protected. So as far as conspiracy itself, it is noted in all jurisdictions. Federal jurisdiction, every state jurisdiction, D.C., Puerto Rico, we've got all of these. uh, This is a crime. And the crime of conspiracy, which is recognized in all jurisdictions, is an agreement. It's an agreement. It's a, you know, whether you shake somebody's hand and agree, you nod to it, you move forward. It is the, the quintessential definition of conspiracy is an agreement between two or more people to commit a crime. And then the agreement by itself is in, in almost all jurisdictions. It requires one extra element of proof. So it, you have to prove that there's the agreement. Then you have to prove that one of the people who agreed, any one of them, did an act in furtherance of that conspiracy. An act. It doesn't have to be a criminal act. Did act or did not act. Did act. Did act. That you have to do something. So just vaguely talking, isn't it a shame the president isn't dead, would not be a conspiracy. If you said, or, you know, any, anybody, you know, why not, you know, why don't we purchase some guns and think about a way to eliminate whoever it would be. That would be a conspiracy. Exactly. It's the, you know, oh, I want my wife dead. Okay, well, that's really unfortunate speech, but it's not (laughs) a crime. You know, it's it's the, well, hey, I want my wife dead. Will you help me? Let's let's figure out how and when will you do this with me? Yes, let's do it. And then somebody goes and purchases a gun. And under no definition of the First Amendment would would speech in furtherance of a crime be illegal. Now, what's what's interesting here, and I think you hinted that you were going to talk (laughs) about it anyway, is what's fascinating is that Smith did not indict for what seems to be the most obvious, but also the most problematic. Exactly. uh, Which is... You know, when the pre- when the former president said, we've got to fight like hell, mm-hmm. and if we don't, we're going to lose our country, and directed right. people apparently toward the Capitol, was that incitement? Uh, and, and the test, as you know, is Brandenburg versus Ohio, right. a case that involved the, the Ku Klux Klan. And it basically was, what is it, a, an incitement to... Speech is not protected if it is an incitement to imminent lawless and then the yeah. implication violent action. Uh, if you say, let's go, comrades, and shoot the place mm-hmm. up, uh, that would create, particularly if people had guns, that imminent would create an imminent or, you know, there's a policeman, let's go, or African American, let's him. go lynch him. That would be, you know, uh, that would not be considered speech. That is so 
brigand with action, as I think the term that Justice Black once used, uh, that it goes beyond speech. Correct. It's not protected. Even though you're saying it, technically it's speech because you're verbalizing it, but it's not protected speech where you cannot have speech to commit a crime. But he didn't, you're right, he didn't charge incitement. No, that's right. And I think, again, it was a, a good legal move. And I think what is misunderstood or isn't being talked about with this indictment are the actual counts. Because I keep hearing and talking with my friends and other colleagues, it's like, oh, it's about January 6th. Yes, but not (laughs) in terms... Yeah, exactly. It is in the sense that it revolves around the congressional meeting, but it's not in terms of the violence. So I think we're we're misapplying what's happening here because the crimes that are actually charged, and I really think it's important to say what they are, and I think people will be surprised because I don't think people are saying, here are the crimes. They're saying, oh, it's about January 6th. It's about the riots, but it's not. It is about, the first is conspiracy. So there are three of conspiracy. One is an attempt, and three are conspiracy. An attempt is just the same is it's also a crime, even though you didn't actually succeed in the crime itself. An attempt is just as much a crime as a conspiracy to commit a crime. And the conspiracy under 18 U.S.C. 371, count one, is to defraud the United States. Um, And so that's basically it, to defraud the United States. And it's a conspiracy by one or more such persons to do any act to affect the object of the conspiracy. So what they're saying with that is he's saying, look, it's dishonesty, fraud, deceit to impair, obstruct, and defeat the federal government function. So he's targeting it as to what happened to Congress, on that right. day, and this is where I want to get some some of your thoughts, is as far as January 6th, we say January 6th, but what he's doing isn't the riots. It's the congressional function that was supposed to occur on January 6th. And what right. he's saying is Trump is conspiring with all of these other people to defeat the fundamental governmental function that was supposed to be happening on January 6th. This well, and the votes of the American people. And I mean, there's, that's count right. four. Exactly. Right. Count right. four is the conspiracy against rights. It's a federal civil rights acts crime where they're seeing that Smith is saying, look, he's violated all of your rights, says the American people. Right. He's combining knowingly, combining conspiracy, conspiring, confederating and agreeing to corruptly obstruct and impede, oh, sorry, that's count two, impede an official proceeding, the certification of the electoral vote. So that's count two. Count four, then, is the the Civil Rights Act, is to uh, endure, oppress, threaten, and intimidate one or more persons in the free exercise and enjoyment of a right and privilege secured to them by the Constitution and the laws of the United States, that is, the right to vote and to have one's vote counted. So he's not saying he's inciting. He's saying he's actually obstructed the right to the fundamental 
right the, to vote. And, and I don't remember which count it is, but I found one of the most interesting aspects of this is the argument that deceit that, you know, the, the plan, as I understand it, or a part of the plan was to draw up alternate slates of yes. electors. So, you know, we elect the fraudulent a president electors through, is right. how they're phrased. Mm-hmm. Right. So so we we elect presidents through the electoral college. Mm-hmm. When you go to do a vote, you're voting for the set of electors who are committed to either the Democrat or Republican or anybody else that's running. And my understanding of the, the central gravitas of, of this indictment is that they tried to set up, you know, they knew that in Michigan, Democratic electors had been selected, but there and elsewhere, they tried to set up an alternate set of electors in the hope that Vice President Pence or the rest of the Senate, and remember some senators did in fact get up and say Mm -hmm. they believed in these alternate electors. Yes. But what I found most fascinating is... And, and, you know, I don't know the truth of it or not, but the allegation is that they told these electors, or at least some of them, yeah. we are asking you to be on a slate with the understanding that we're not going to we're not going to use this unless the courts declare that our candidate is one. And in that case, we need an alternate set of electors. Will you be one? Yes, that's the allegations that are laid out in this indictment. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one could have some sympathy for somebody who says, well, you know, I don't know much about vote counting. If there's a chance Mm -hmm. that, you know, Republicans won the state instead of Democrats, I'm certainly for sure. I'll be an elector. Uh, Just Mm -hmm. make sure my name isn't on there and let, you know, you don't bring me forward unless unless that's how it proves out to be. So. You know, now now some electors, I suspect, were very knowing, uh, you know, participants. They knew exactly what was happening and they did it anyway. Right. But, you know, one, one of the sad things about about Trump in general, and, and I, I hate to generalize, mm. but he seems to leave sort of carnage in his wake. You think about, yeah. you know, there are like 500 to 1,000 people who have already been convicted of the, of the what riot they did issues. on January the 6th. Right. And here, you know, if he goes down now, and, and you know, this is another question is why, why are they not indicted? Right. Why are they unindicted co-conspirators? And my guess is just simply to move things along, concentrate on the big fish before the other, but that, you know, part of it may be, maybe they're still expecting that a couple of these would crack. And that in exchange for testimony, now that also, of course, is problematic because, you know, if if somebody is testifying to get themselves off the hook, uh, their oh, testimony it's a way to impeach be, them. Le- yeah, mm-hmm. w- would be would be less credible that way. Yeah. But you know, the, these are serious allegations. Yes. Um, you know, and it's not. You know, somebody might say, "Well, it's not much different from 2000. Um, oh, with the you know, Bush and Gore election. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is different because you have, <laughs> you know, there's nothing wrong with legitimately contesting elections. And in fact, um, Trump and his allies, as I said, I think earlier, there's something like 70 cases that were brought 
um, which were and, great means of using the legitimate right, the legal, legal system. system. That's perfectly, Absolutely. you know, now whether the Supreme Court, Bush versus Gore should have been involved or let it work itself out. That's that's a different kind of question. But it's perfectly, you know, both sides and, you know, Trump, uh, Bush and Gore both had their teams of lawyers out there. Yes. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, but if you purposely set up a fake set of electors, and then, you know, then the, the other thing is to go back to, to Vice President or then Vice President Pence. Um, th this is about the easiest argument, I think, to refute is any of them. Did he have the power right. to give the election to Trump? Well, we have historical examples. In 1960, Vice President Richard M. Nixon hmm. certified the vote on behalf of John Kennedy. And it was a far closer election than this last election was. And I don't think people know that or remember well, that. In 2000, mm -hmm. after one of the most, you know, contentious elections in our history and a, and a Supreme Court decision, yep. who decided that the election went to Bush? Vice President well, didn't Gore. Decide it, but who certified it? Al Gore. Mm -hmm. So anybody who tells you that Mike Pence should be hung because he didn't certify the votes, that, okay, so the question is, okay, the next election, assuming that Biden runs again right. with his same running mate, which I think seems likely, do you want Kamala Harris to make the decision, regardless of the vote counts in each state, as to who the next president is? Right. And, you know, even if you're a Democrat, you might say, well, I don't, you know, I would, pref you know, as much as I hope that states. he gets reelected, I'm willing to go with what the majority, you know, majority of the Electoral College says. So it, it really was never a credible argument. Um, and, you know, I I feel sorry for Pence in this regard and mm -hmm. in, in that people, you know, if he had that power we have just given up any rights that we have to an election to whoever the sitting vice president happens to Who's be. Who's the president of the Senate. Right, right. Yeah, and, and I think that's where I want to get with you is each of these, so going to count three is the attempt to obstruct and impede an official proceeding. That is the certification of the electoral vote. So all right. of these are surrounding not the actual necessarily Again, riots, and I say riots because pe people will go back and forth with me as to whether they sure. were riots or not. So I'm not using that. I'm not trying to use people them in were, a political People way. were injured, and several of them subsequently committed suicide. So right. So I, I think riot is an appropriate or insur you know insurrection is probably a little bit trickier term. That's a more politicized uh, term. Yeah, it is. Um, but the actions that were taken. So what ultimately this indictment is about is the obstruction and attempt to stop and improperly change and influence what was happening on January 6th in Congress. So I think what's important here, and this is where you're crucial as an expert in the Constitution and how it actually is supposed to work, 
in the indictment, it says things that, again, I think lay people, even I, I was like, oh, yeah, there's that. It's not just the Constitution that decides the January, what was happening on January 6th. They go back into, oh, it's this other law that combined right. with the Electoral College Act right. with the Constitution sets up the procedure. Right. The procedure for electing and certifying the presidency. So I think it would be helpful for you to describe what exactly was Congress doing that day? What was the proceeding? What was the process that was supposed to be happening that day that Jack Smith is alleging that President Trump and his co-conspirators were trying to stop and illegally defraud and change? So again, the electoral college system is very complex. And I believe that the law we're talking about was probably adopted in the wake of the election of 1876. I believe where, that's exactly right. Where there were some there were some disputed elections or disputed electoral votes in the South where mm-hmm. uh, African Americans had been largely disenfranchised. And ultimately by what happened is a commission was set up and the commission ultimately awarded all the contested votes to the Republican who then became uh, the president. And that law was then designed to make it a little, you know, a little clearer. But basically what happens is. And this is the Electoral Count Act, which was 1887. And that's on page four of the indictment. So, I mean, even before we get to that act, the way the Electoral College works is each state has a number of votes, which is equivalent to the number of members of the House of Representatives in the Senate. So each state has at least three votes. um, And by constitutional amendment, the District of Columbia also has equivalent to the smallest state, which is also three votes. So. Um, and I believe there's a total of 538 votes altogether because there are 100 members of the co- uh, of the Senate, right. 435 in the House, uh, and then three additional for the District of Columbia. So to win the presidency outright, uh, a candidate needs 270 or more electoral votes. So <clears throat> the Electoral College, it's, it's a fascinating process because mm-hmm. In, at the original Constitutional Convention, the thought was that members of Congress would select the president, mm. and that would have that would have interfered with separation of powers. It would have made us more like a parliamentary system, which is similar. You remember in the discussion that we had of the Israeli system, exactly. Um, so we rejected that. Each state votes the way it works. And, well, originally, when you voted for electors, the theory was you were voting for people who were going to cast your ballot using their wisdom. Mm. Uh, That quickly disappeared to you're going to vote for the people who are pledged to vote for the candidate that you want to vote for. The one we elected. That's right. So in each, but each state has its own, I mean, yeah, you can see the, the, the map of the whole country, Mm -hmm. but in each state, you in, in, in effect have your own election. So those, the people that had been elected gather together in their states and then they certify who won their state mm. and they pass these, this certification on to 
the president of the Senate, who happens to be the vice president of the United States, they assemble on a on a date specified, I believe, by this act that you mentioned, 1887. Right. They, in a joint session of Congress, meet together, and the vice president calls out the votes from each state. And as long as one candidate has 270 or more electoral votes, that candidate and his partner become president and vice president, respectively. If they do not, by the way, if nobody gets a majority, uh, the election goes to the House of Representatives, where they choose among the top three candidates. And what's fascinating is they vote they vote by states. Oh, interesting. Uh, so you could have a candidate who got, well, and we've had a couple cases in history going back to 1824, where your candidate with the leading popular vote did not get the electoral votes. Mm. Uh, so that can happen under our current system. And it, you know, seems to have happened. It, actually, it happened in 2016. Uh, President Trump, got fewer votes than Hillary Clinton did. For the popular vote. For the popular mm -hmm. vote. But but he still won the Electoral College votes. And in 2000, it was reversed. Uh, well, not it wasn't exactly reversed. The Biden actually got a majority, both of the popular vote and of the Electoral College vote. But because, now this isn't actually in the Constitution, but all but two states, both of them small, operate in the Electoral College on what's known as a winner-take-all system. So you either get all of the votes of Maryland or Tennessee or Virginia, whatever it is, or you get none of them, aside from, I believe it's Nebraska and maybe Maine. Um, but because the vote was close enough, if you could have switched the votes of four or five states, that would have been enough to tilt it back to President Trump. Right. So what what the allegation then is, is what seems to be a fairly ceremonial proceeding. Yes. That, But one that is required in order to officially, formally, and finally elect right. and certify the president, the new president of the United States— then the allegation is that all of Trump's conspirators, this conspiracy, the purpose was to stop that from happening and or to change the results in right. an illegal, unlawful, and fraudulent way to produce a different result than allegedly the accurate and factual result. Right. It, it goes to the distinction, which I believe is in Marbury versus Madison, between a ministerial duty uh, and a discretion, a discretionary duty. Um, you know, a minister basically or and another term for ministerial in this case would be ceremonial. Right. The person presiding over the counting of the electoral votes is the vice president, not because I mean, think about it, of all the people in the country. Would you choose a vice president who's probably, particularly if he's running on election to decide who the next person is? Oh. No, you have to choose. Somebody needs to be in charge. Right. And so it's a president of the Senate who happens to be the vice president as the designee. Uh, it, it's sort of like, you know, and I don't think this is in the Constitution, but an oath is typically 
given to the president by the chief justice of the United States. Right. Would you want the chief justice of the United States to decide, well, hey, I don't, you know, I, I don't like this. I don't like, you know, I'm a Republican. Biden is a Democrat, so I'm not going to swear him in. Right. Does anybody believe that somebody else couldn't swear him in in that circumstance? Right. Clearly not. It's, I think it goes down to what are the ultimate duties? Right. And I think from the, the alleged conspiracy, the idea was, okay, we know, allegedly, we all know that we've lost. But we are going to do everything we can to make us win. Right. And that even if we fail to do it through the states, if we fail to get this state to, you know, send... The, the right electors, if we get this state to fail to certify us, if all else fails, then in the end, we're going to take this January 6th congressional meeting and we're going to stop it or change it. Right. And the allegations are that, you know, people told him that the vice president can't do anything but stand up there and count the votes. Right. He has, like you're saying, he has no individual discretion to change the votes, he only can count the votes. It's as if he's a voting machine. He's basically announcing the votes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You, the uh, voting machine. California cast mm -hmm. X number of votes for, you know. Yeah. We're going to call out the, the voting. It's almost like, and maybe this is a ridiculous example, but I don't think it's too far off. It's almost like the Powerball. Right. You've yeah. got somebody. Yeah, that's right. The per, right. Would you expect the person, the Powerball to say, well, six? No, I, I want to, you eight. know, I want to choose the three. Of course. <laughs> right. yeah, that's a great example. Right. Is the, the purpose of the person pulling out the numbers is to call out the numbers. That's right. Just simply that's to right. call out and confirm this is the number rather than to change the number. Right. It doesn't make him want it. I don't think that Vice President Pence wanted Biden to win. I don't think he did. No, he, I don't think he I did think either. He, in his own interest, as Smith has said, it's in his own interest for President Trump to have won. So who would want to call that out? But that's what he is obligated in his ceremonial position to do. And the allegation is, you know, everybody told Trump he can't do anything different. Legally, he's not allowed to under the Constitution, under this act, under all of this, he can't. And yet, knowingly, President Trump continued to say and to fraudulently tell other citizens of the United that's, States. That's the allegation, yes. It. And I think yeah. that's part of the fraud is by alleging to, again, I'm not saying whether it's true or not. Right. But the allegation is that he has systematically defrauded citizens of the U.S. into thinking that Vice President Pence could do something. Right. You, you never want someone as president who thinks that he alone can be president. Right. Uh, you know, if you play the game, you have to abide by the rules of the game. Mm -hmm. And if you're not abiding by the rules of the game, then you're really outside the bounds of the law. I mean, that's right. that's the short of it. Right. And so to present to, you know, even I've had to go back and redo my con law of, you know, what does the Constitution really say? What does this act say? So even I, an attorney who am more familiar with rules 
who's more familiar with laws, criminal and constitutional, if I'm still having to look up the proper procedure, how much harder it is it for a regular person who doesn't know and doesn't right. understand these systems, and half the country doesn't even like the system, if not even more, is who, you right. know, how many things have I seen in the last number of years that are questioning the electoral college? It's, it's one of the most frequent proposals for changing the constitution. Now, that being yes. said, there are about four or five different ways that you can go. Exactly. Uh, and so part of the reason it's never been overturned is every, every system, including direct popular vote, has some flaws in it. Yes. Um, yes, but there, it's playing on the, this fear and this dislike and distrust of the electoral college yeah. and an idea of defrauding people into thinking there's a different way to go. There's something but that's again, not true. But to, again, to be very clear, <laughs> if it weren't for the Electoral College, right. I mean, assuming the most common alternative to the Electoral College is direct popular vote. Correct. If we had had that system in place, Trump would never have become president to begin with <laughs> because he did not in either 2016 or 2020 mm. win the popular vote. Now, he, right. to be clear... I believe he was a legitimately elected president in 2016. Absolutely. Because he did win, you know, just as I think Al Gore got more popular votes, but I believe that Bush was properly elected in, in 2000 uh, because he did win the Electoral College votes. Right. Um, yeah, I, I think it's fascinating. I think if if it can be proved, I think it's quite damning. And now, what's, you know, something we haven't talked about mm -hmm. is, let's see if I'm right on this. I'm not sure about New York. But this case and the documents case right. are both federal. Now, I believe the Correct. New York case is, it's state. Uh, is state. It is. And, you know, it appears as though the district attorney in or attorney general, I'm not sure which, district attorney, I believe it is, in Atlanta. In Georgia, yeah. Yeah, has a case, uh, you know, which she plans to, and, you know, what's interesting is that will overlap with, with this one, because this case actually has sections on each of the case, each yes. of the states, Pennsylvania, Michigan. It uh, literally lists them. There's a right. heading for Michigan. Right. And then it discusses what, what happened, what allegedly happened with all of the conspirators, the alleged right. conspirators, as to what they did in and about each of those states. But what is fascinating, if if I'm right on this, and I believe that I am, I should have looked it up before I came on, but and I did not. But I believe that you can be that the president, an incoming president could pardon Trump Correct. for any federal but not state convictions. That I'm not sure about. I believe I'm the pretty sure of that. We, you, let's let's put anyone. a little line on the end mm -hmm. of it and make sure that I'm right about that. But, the, but sure. I believe you now what is contested, and I think we've discussed this before, there is great debate, and frankly, nobody can answer it because it's never it's happened. Never happened. There's great debate as to whether a president can pardon himself. Right. The only limitation the Constitution provides for federal crimes is that you cannot 
Uh, you cannot pardon somebody for for the, who's been impeached and convicted. You can't pardon for that offense. Uh, it doesn't say that you can't pardon yourself, although, you know, if there's any unstated aspect of the Perception. law, it is that no individual should be a judge in his or her own case. Right. And so, but what's fascinating is you have a fair number of the Republican candidates right now. Now, Chris Christie and Asa Hutchison are not among them. But many of the Republican candidates running right now are running on a pledge, which I think is very foolish, by the way. But they're running on a pledge that they would uh, pardon President, uh, former President Trump, of you know if in fact he's convicted in court. Mm -hmm. And again, I you know, and you know the the other element which we haven't talked about, which is just sort of interesting. you know, if you want to make money, uh, maybe the way to do it is set up a legal defense fund. And apparently something yeah. like over $40 million of money that you, uh, much of which appears to be coming from small contributors to Trump's campaign right. is going into his legal defense fund. Correct. And that may be good for lawyers, right? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> we may I, be on opposite sides on here. these five lawyers, I don't think I would want to be an attorney for Trump because they all seem well, to be... I, yes. I, I mean, I not think that, that I believe that I would commit a crime, um, but his, his attorney seemed to fall in his wake. They do. Um, it's, we talked about that earlier. That a lot yeah. of people get caught up in it, you know, and mm-hmm. and that's and to some, you know, that happened to Richard Nixon. Yeah. Um, you know, he was pardoned by the next president who had good motives. I, I'm still one of the few hanging out who say uh, I don't think you should have been pardoned, but mm-hmm. nonetheless. There were plenty of people, including his ex-attorney general, right. uh, Chuck Colson, Jeb Magruder, uh, many other, uh, Haldeman, Ehrlichman, if if I've incorrectly gotten one of them in there that doesn't belong, yeah. for, forgive me for that. But a lot of people went to jail. And, you know, there, there's a lot of talk right now. One of the fascinating aspects of this case is it's... It's sort of the allegation that Trump is making that we have yeah. a two-tier system of justice yeah. and that really what this case is about is we're, pers- we're prosecuting the president and we're not prosecuting another president's son. Right. Now, in my judgment, and I don't know enough to know whether Hunter Biden is guilty of, you know, I mean, I mean he's pretty much admitted in doing a plea bargain that he's that he's confessing right. to something. In my judgment, they are not what I know suggests they're not equivalent. Uh, For one thing, you know, Trump was a President Trump was a an elected official with with specific fiduciary obligations to the country who had taken an oath. Hunter Biden, as far as I know, was a private citizen. Now, if it can be shown that President Biden knowingly aided Hunter Biden in what President Biden knew was an illegal scheme, Right. then I suspect there's some culpability there. Absolutely. Uh, but 
to my knowledge, there is no actual evidence of that. Well, no, and, we don't know of any, but we believe that there's no, no, still that's right. That's right. I mean, you know, does it appear as though Hunter Biden engaged in some sleazy business? Seems like it, you know, yeah. he getting 50,000 or however many thousand a month for, you know, being an oil executive, to my knowledge, never was an oil executive and, 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 and the like. But the answer, I think, to that is, you know, let's let the chips fall where they may. If we find out that our current president is engaged in illegal activities, then he should no more be exempt from Absolutely. impeachment or indictment uh, than a former president should be. I fully agree. Uh, but what you know, what's so fascinating is usually when we think about you know a dual system of uh, of justice, we're usually thinking about the poor person who has maybe an appointed counsel who could care less, as opposed, you know, we're talking about someone who claims to be a multi-billionaire. Right. Um, and typically, multi-billionaires are not sent to prison. Right. Uh, if anybody has the means to defend themselves, and particularly them. if you have people who are willing to contribute 20 or $30 a piece, to get you up to a $40 million, you know, it, it yeah. just seems sort of ironic to be claiming that a multi-billionaire, if that's what he is, uh, is somehow being mistreated by the legal system. I think I think his claims of unfairness, I see that, is truly if there is this larger conspiracy, if there are foreign entanglements that are criminal, in nature right. by Hunter Biden and or by Joe Biden where it, I, I no really one is above hope, the law. Right. I really hope that there is a true investigation going on and Good. Trump is claiming, well, there's not. And if there is, they've just decided not to do anything about it. And if that's true, then that is unfair and it's not just, and it should be prosecuted. I absolutely agree with that. But the, the answer to it isn't to not prosecute Trump. Right. It's to also prosecute another criminal activity. Right. If if it exists. Right. If it exists. And and I would hope and I, I'd like to think, and maybe I'm naive, that that there are enough people out there who are looking into it. And through this plea agreement that fell apart through Hunter Biden, there at least was a hint that there is a continuing investigation. Right. Into Hunter Biden's activities that went beyond the possession of guns and the possession of drugs and the faulty tax returns, the criminal tax returns, and, and or lack you know thereof. What I find interesting about it politically, right now that strategy seems to be working. And yet I've talked to any number of people who say, but for the grace of God, I could have a son or a daughter right. who was on drugs. Right. Or I could have a son or daughter who, you know, tried to use my name to get some kind of advantage. And, you know, it may be that President Biden is as much of a victim here as anybody is. It Again, I don't well know. I don't be. know that. But I, I think it's very dangerous to equate not prosecuting a son or daughter of someone for basically what is a private offense as opposed to not prosecuting a governmental official for an offense that, if true, is an offense against the entire nation. 
I think I, I agree with you. I do. The only, the difference I would say is I don't think the uproar is over a gun or a drug crime. I think the uproar is these foreign entanglements, the right. Saudi Arabia, the Ukraine, right. that right. these issues, there's an allegation or an, a belief that there are criminal activities happening with foreign entanglements right. that if true, truly affect the security of the country. And how is that any better than President Trump claiming that he won? Right. Is that any different? It, it, well, it's a little bit, there, there are some similarities to Trump's first impeachment, mm. which centered around was he, you know, was he using, was he muscling in to the Ukrainian president in order to get a political advantage as opposed right. to an advantage for the country? Right. So, you know, certainly that's those kind of issues are worth investigating. And yes. again, um, you know, the, there is one other issue that we haven't mm -hmm. mentioned, and I don't know if we, if you want to get to that or not. But one of the things that uh, Trump's attorneys have asked for is a change of venue. Mm. And for those, I, I think most people know that term. But basically, yeah. he has he has said we think, you know, we think people in D.C. tend to be more democratic, democratic. and the rest of the country more liberal. So we'd like to move the jury selection to West Virginia. Mm -hmm. um, the, the problem, with, well, and I don't know what the court will decide. I, my right. general impression is that there are lots of mechanisms. You'll know this better than I do, but there are lots of mechanisms that attorneys have before they go to change a venue. Yes. Uh, you have unlimited challenges for calls for a Correct. jury. You can you can add numerous peremptory challenges. Right. You can ask very pointed questions about, you know, you know, or do you feel that you could be fair? You know, and I, I'm yes. not sure how I would answer. Somebody asked me, you know, would my political views influence my judgment? I'd have to think long and hard. I mean, I think what I would it's say is hard in this case. How do you, you know? I, it? I think I know. I, I think I do already have an opinion, but I believe that I'm capable of putting my opinions aside and listening to the evidence in this case. Uh, but I believe they're more likely to go to that. Now, what's but what's fascinating, and here again, we've talked about, you know, Jack Smith and how wise maybe or prudent he has been. The first set of indictments, which came out of Florida, um, Florida mm -hmm. are basically could have been brought out of D.C. Absolutely. And he chose Florida, I think, in part because that's thought to be an area that's generally favorable. You know, that's where Trump now lives, generally favorable to him. Much more Republican. And so, yeah. you know, I, I think I think the prosecution might have as strong a case for moving the indictments out of Florida, yes, as the defense would have for moving them out of D.C. It, yeah. So I don't know if that makes it a wash exactly, 
But yeah, you can't it, use one case to help another in change of venue requests, but right. I think it's a fair request. It's one that I would absolutely make as a sure. defense attorney. Due diligence, and, right? Yes. And more billable hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a great defense move. And I, I fully agree with it. You have to ask for you you have to ask for a change of venue out of DC where everyone everyone is liberal, where it's a Democrat area um a democrat stronghold honestly right and it, you have to the the it doesn't mean you're going to win but it means you have you should as the as the defense attorney make that argument west virginia is an interesting option um because there you know how many are close around there's maryland and Virginia, right. which are right next to D.C. Can you choose right. one of those? Well, Maryland's not an option. That that voted Democrat. Well, Virginia, where did that go? Well, there's Northern Virginia. We don't want Northern Virginia because that's which as liberal as D.C. Yeah. But that's right there. I mean, let's put honestly, let's put him in the rocket docket. Let's put mm -hmm. him in the Eastern District of Virginia. Absolutely. Alexandria. That, I mean, that's what I would argue is Jack Smith, as I would argue, right. you know, OK, so the defense wants to change a venue. Fair enough. Let's do Alexandria. <laughs> 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 um, it's, you know, it's 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 a game. And I don't know what a judge would rule. I think the the idea behind it as a judge that I would have to be looking at is really where can you get a fair trial? Right. You know, it's just it's going to be just as difficult to get a fair and unbiased and impartial trial in any state in this country. You well, might as well and, go to another country to get one. And that actually leads into one of Trump's arguments, mm -hmm. which yeah. is or his attorneys, which is we can't get a fair election. I'm sorry, we can't get a fair trial prior to the next election. Right. Uh, and then, of course, if he wins, the argument will be, well, it's not fair to, you know, he has plenty of other things to do without us right. indicting him. Uh, let's postpone it for another four years. Right. But <laughs> so, one yeah. of these things, and I didn't research this very well, and we need to we need to come back to it and we'll we'll stop on this thought, is one of the things that I haven't heard anyone talk about is there is a statute of limitations on criminal charges, just like there is on civil cases. Murder is the one that like you can do right. in 80 years from now, you can still be convicted and charged with murder. But most crimes have a statute of limitations. Even if they're felonies, you have to bring them within so many years of the acts having been committed. And I haven't looked it up, um, so I, I think that's I for think the next one. I know one. the answer. What is it for these ones? Okay, is the is the word toll correct that oh, you the, can toll charges? You so can. I, okay, but I only think, under certain circumstances. Right. I believe in cases that have previously involved presidential indictments. Mm. Although I don't know that any were for conduct in office, but I believe the argument is you might be able to postpone, in which case the 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 clock would not keep ticking during that time where the where if Trump were to be reelected, you would if it was you know if you had four years to indict, the next four years wouldn't count. If they if he was prevented from being indicted during that time. But do you take that chance? Because the issue is, yes, you can toll it. But what if you were wrong? And what if the judge says, yeah, you couldn't toll it during that time? No, this didn't count as a toll as right. what, you know, 
hit the tolling. Well, again, provision. I think the precedents say that you would have you would toll, but as we know from recent Supreme Court decisions, uh, not all courts abide yeah. by precedents. I, as as a former prosecutor, I would be scared to take a chance that yeah. I definitely fit into the tolling provision. Um, so I think something to consider. On that note, thank you so much for joining me with this conversation on our special episode because we can't, even though we haven't hit the next season, we just, we, we might as well because there's too much happening. Um, thank you for reviewing this. I think it is truly the hottest legal topic of the week um, in this coming week. And I hope that you enjoyed the conversation and everyone listening got something new from it regarding what do these indictments actually mean. So yeah, thank you. And everyone, we will catch you on the next time. I'm Virginia Tarani with Tarani Law LLC because you never need a lawyer tell you do, though please don't choose me as an attorney on this one. I am not up for grabs <laughs> for this case. <laughs> you may need one, but on this case, it's not me. Um, consult your constitutional law um, advisor across across the video. He does not here. have a law license, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe fortunately for the world. Yeah, at this point. Um, we will catch you next time. Maybe we're going to do another special edition. It really depends on what's coming out. Maybe we'll start season three sooner rather than it, you know later on this. But we appreciate you listening and we will catch you next time on the Legal Weekly Wine.